dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. To celebrate Halloween, we are spending the month listening to ghost stories. And this week, I've brought Tapping from BBC's Fear on 4. The series is very much not from the golden age of radio. It ran for four seasons from 1988 to 1993 and came back for a fifth season in 1997. Fear on Four was hosted by The Man in Black, a figure taken directly from the show's predecessor, Appointment with Fear, which had in turn borrowed the character from Suspense. Appointment with Fear ran from 1943 to 1955 and featured Valentine Dial as The Man in Black. A subsequent series known as The Man in Black enjoyed a short run in 1949, with Dial resuming the role. The BBC launched another audio series entitled The Man in Black, which ran from 2009 to 2011 with Mark Gatiss in the titular role. For Fear on Four, The Man in Black was portrayed by Edward de Souza. Both Gaddis and D'Souza may be familiar to Doctor Who fans, and this episode features a performance by Siobhan Redmond, who can be heard as the villainous Ronnie on Big Finish Productions' audio adventures of Doctor Who. Redmond assumed the role after Kate O'Mara, who portrayed the Ronnie on television, passed away in 2014, just before being able to record her performances for Big Finish. Tapping was written by Colin Hayden Evans, author of Writing for Radio, published in 1991. The book is filled with tips for aspiring writers of audio dramas, including, quote, imply as much as you can get away with and describe as little as can be tolerated. We'll hear how well he follows his own advice in Tapping from Fear on Four. First broadcast, September 24th, 1997. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Oh, Jack Dab, he jumped so high, broke his head against the sky. And when it snowed, and when it rained, old Jack Dab came down again. Memory always makes things better or worse. It never tells the truth. Yet I remember clearly when it began. The time, the place. That was never the difficulty. It's more why it's still here. And if it will ever go away. Old Jack Dab was gathered up. Put together in the wood and tub. And when it snowed and when it rained, old Jack Dab came alive again. Tapping by Colin Hayden Evans. With Siobhan Redmond as Janie and Mark Bonner as Tom. Ah, <laughs> uh, see there now. You came round the side of that hill. First time I saw you. Nine years. You always say that. Each time I come up here. I like to say it. You came to be on my own. With no more than sandwiches and a building society account. And found a wife. <laughs> and you always say that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. 
Anyway, it was me that found you. You wouldn't recognise a wife if she were jumping up and down weaving. That's more or less what you were doing. I was stacking hay, young man. <laughs> there was no one else to do it. <sighs> it was a good day, Jenny. For me. I'll make bannocks tomorrow. You like them? Look, you can just see the ferry. Oh, screw your eyes up. Oh, we might get that seed catalogue. Why do you never want anything delivered? We're better on our own. I don't care for people turning up when you don't know they're coming. We don't know anyone. Tom? It started again, hasn't it? it no, nothing's started. It's not been away. Better, though, recently. It seemed that way to me. It's got louder. Like before? Much the same, then? It doesn't change. You need to let it out more. I've always said that. What shall we do then? When? On our anniversary. What shall we do? Bannocks with butter and jam. <laughs> what else? Isn't too much we can do, is there? There's only going for walks. You don't mind living here. Tom. It's everything I want. Miles from things. It's better, isn't it? So you said. Easier. Ah. I forgot to get you a present. Oh, that doesn't matter. I wanted to, though. You'll have got me something. Mm -hmm. You've been watching me knit it all winter. I meant to when I was in Ullapool. I have an idea. For a gift. Well, go on, then. You have to make a promise. I never like it when you do that. It'll be the best thing you could ever give me. Well, there's only what's left of the sheep money. That won't go far. This will not cost you money, lad. All right. I promise. <sighs> Come on, then. That isn't fair, Janie. It's not. It's never been fair. Not on you. Not on me. It was a... a trick. It was a way of asking. A way of helping. Anyway, you promised. I don't know... I don't know if I... I can. It'll go away then. I know it will. Believe that now. Say her name. Out loud. No. Uh, her first name then. Start with just her first name. Anne. Anne Stroud. How old? How old was she, Tom? Older. Older than me. I was six, thereabouts. I'll tell you how it sounds. I'll, I'll tell you that, but not any more than that. Oh, please, Janie, let me just tell you how it sounds. Right, right. Just how it sounds. Gathered up, put together in the wood and tub. And when it snowed and when it rained, old Jack Dab came alive again. My father loved the workshop, the wood, the smell of things. 
I was only allowed in when he was there. It was only a game, meant to be. Climb through the window, they said, the other boys, at night with supper over. Bet you daren't. So I did. Did what they dared me. I knew she was there, but I was trying so hard not to think about it. It was difficult to know what it all meant. Then, anyway. A soft tapping. It wasn't loud. It seemed louder. At night. It was her, all right. Anne. Oh, there's no point to all this. There's no point, is there? You know that. You're talking about it, Tom. It's coming out, even if it's on tiptoe. And that's good. I don't want it out. For Christ's sake, woman, I don't want it out. The wood, the smell of things... Moving down the wall, hung chisels, hammers like fingers along my back. And then, there, like turning a small corner and finding a world the size of a box, dark. And the thinking I was alone quickly turning to the knowing I was not. Oh, there, now, there. Rest against me. I'll keep you safe. It's more than just being frightened, Jenny. I know. I know it is. Do you hear it now? No. When it starts, squeeze my hand. I won't let anything harm you. You know that. It was why I first came to this place. To lose the harm... I loved the skies, big and always moving. Lying on my back in the grass, it seemed as if there was no real edge to things. The clouds fell over the rim of the eyes, and if I didn't follow and held the comfort tight, I could easily pretend that's all there was, or ever could be. Everything endlessly passing. She wasn't pretty, Janie. Didn't need to be. On her wedding night, she said, I've been waiting for you so long, my man, and never did I feel a place so much a home. But it didn't stop that. It didn't stop that. I had thought it might. Ah, you weren't cut out for the Merchant Marine, young Tom. Did you know that? It had crossed my mind. You should always have been doing what you are now. Should have come home sooner. I didn't know I had a home. Never felt I had anyway. It was waiting for you. I was waiting for you. Didn't know what you looked like, but I knew you'd come one day. Isn't that what the women's magazines say? <laughs> Why did your father not want you to take over the family business? I've told you about that. He knew I'd make a mess of it. Oh. You'd have been good at burying people. You've got the look. <laughs> oh, Jack, Dad, was gathered up, put together in wood and tub, and when it snowed and when it rained, oh, Jack, Dad, came alive again. Mm. 
Why did you never marry before I came along? Only one fella inquired, and he was daft. <laughs> I didn't want to make do. I wanted the right one. I knew it'd come, and you did, didn't you? How did you know, though? How did you know I was the right one? Oh, I. I saw this young boy with eyes. Hard, staring, running, running as fast as his small legs could go. Then hiding on a hill, over the house, waiting for the morning that would make it all seem changed and good again. How did you know all that? You talk in your sleep something dreadful. It's difficult not to know, though I'd rather have the rest myself. You're very strong, Janey, but not strong enough to help. You never see that. Is that a fact then? You can't help. No one can. That's why you married me, lad. <laughs> oh yes, that's why you wed all right. You needed sanctuary, forgiveness at someone else's hands. You could never do it for yourself. You sought me out. What do I say in my sleep? They're not bedtime stories, Tom. It always starts the same. The rest sometimes changes. Your father's workshop, I think. Would that be right? You go on a bit about that. Tools and things on the walls. You seem always to be holding on to the walls. You never rightly cross the room. It's dark, but you know where you're going. So it feels as if you don't, don't want to. Maybe. After that, I can't be sure. It was a dare. Your father. No, kids, friends. I was never allowed in the workshop. That's where my father. They made the boxes there. They they dared me to go in at night. The coffins. Use the proper word, Tom. The coffins. They'd buried the girl, Anne. They'd buried. They were going to. The next day, she was still there. She was in a box, a coffin. Who killed her then? Killed her. No one killed her. No one killed her, Jeanie. She had a. I think it was meningitis. They may not have called it that. I, I don't remember. It all happened so long ago. One day she was at school, and then no one killed her. And then you heard a tapping. Well, it, it needn't have been the box. It, it might have been in your sleep. She calls you. No, she never does that. Jenny, I swear she never does that. She does, Tom. No, never. Lad, I'm trying to help. I have to. I have to feed the. No, no, you'll not get to the door. Not this time. This time you will face it. Do you hear me, Jenny? For God's sake, let me be. It'll only take the once. You see? No.
I'm sorry, Janie. Shouting and all that. Dafty. I shouldn't have. Who else is there to bawl at then? We're on our own, aren't we? You and me, together. We hurt ourselves long before we get round to doing it to others, I reckon. How else would we know how? You were shouting at yourself. The Tom you keep locked up. The Tom you'll never let me see. He's the one. I want him seen. No, you don't. Jamie, I do. I, I swear it. Swear on what, though? Swear on what, Tom? On wishes and maybes and what tomorrow might bring. You're always doing that. You're good at that, putting things off. Swear on what is most precious to you, then. On your life. I swear on that. That'll do. go down there. It's only the root cellar, you pudding. I, I won't fit. There's only tatties in there. Of course you'll fit. I won't, Janie. I know I won't. Put your knees to your chin, that's all. But why lock it? I mean, there's, there's Listen no... Listen to me now. This thing, it's only going to come out of you the same way it went in. Tom, do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, you've got so much shame about all this, you don't rightly know where you are. Am I wrong? Look, you say you hear the, the, the tapping each night. Well, you know I do. But I don't. I don't hear it at all. So what does that mean, then? Tom, it, it means it's on the inside, doesn't it? In your head. Has to be. Otherwise, I would hear it. Tom, you can't go on running. Not for a whole life. Not and expect me to keep up with you. I won't do it. Now's the time to stop. And let it come to you. By doing this. Put yourself in her position. Feel as she must have. Trapped. With someone out there able to save her life. And then hearing the door slam as they ran. And if she came through that night, feel what it must have been like the next morning. The sound of the earth on the lid above her face. The last thing she would ever hear. Go through it, Tom. It's only your own blame you have to face. What's done is done. Maybe somewhere she'll come to see how you felt too. It's charity we're talking about here, lad. You for yourself. I can't see how it can work. That's all. It makes no sense. You can't run when you're in there. That's the sense. Go on. I won't be able to stay down there long. It's too small. It won't take long. I'll be here. I'll be here all the time. All right. You'll let me out. If I say so. It's in your head, remember? That's all. There's nothing down there with you, Tom. Only yourself. I'll be here all the time. Jenny. Jenny, are you there? Of course I'm here, you muffin. 
Where else would I be? What do I do now? You tell me. What do I say? What happened? That night. Everything. As it was. I'll tell you what I can. No. Everything, Tom. On my life, remember. This time you swore. I, I thought she was dead. That's why they dared me. To go into the workshop when there was a dead one. I, I'd never done that before. The doctor said she was. I don't understand how he... She must have heard me. It was just a, a tapping. They'd screwed the lid down. They always did that the night before. At first I thought it was the lads outside trying to scare me. I thought that all along. I wanted to, really. Until I heard her. Only just heard. The doctor had said she was dead. It wasn't my fault. I ran... Caught my head in the line of washing my mother had left out. Ran all the way to the hill above the house. You couldn't hear anything there. I, I thought, if you can't hear it, it can't be happening. I, I kept wishing everything would stay dark. Then the morning came. I told my mother I felt ill, and she told my father I was upset and I shouldn't go to the funeral. I couldn't go. I couldn't be sure it had stopped. Do you see? Janie. J Janie. Janie! I'm here. I thought you weren't. Why didn't you say something? You could have let her out. Saved her. You could have. Easily. What was it you wanted me to say then? I don't know. Say it's getting better. That I won't hear it again. I only believe it when you say it. You'll never hear it again. Jenny. Oh, dear man, it's not Janie. It was never Janie. I swear to you, it'll not take long, though. It will only seem that way. There's really nothing I can do. Anne? Anne? No. No.
had waited all those years for him to come, to tell me of that time, a time heard but never seen. I died because he pretended, and so did not properly die at all. If there is no proper release then, at the passing of your breath, there is no release ever. I do not say I understand, only that that is how it is. His time will come. In some future he will snare another, as I did him, and they too, in turn. Who then is not ever tapping on a box of someone else's making? And who is it that is not pretending me cannot hear? Already, I find it difficult to remember his face. The screaming stops first. The throat closes around it, cutting it off. Something else takes its place, quieter, less like a person. That's how it would be now. His hands twice their size, nails ragged, black, arms spent through begging pity from the wood. And in the end, the fingers trembling against the floor, as if tapping. Jack Dab, he jumped so high, he broke his head against the sky. And when it snowed and when it rained, old Jack Dab came down again. In Tapping by Colin Hayden Evans, Siobhan Redmond was Janie, Mark Bonner Tom, and Alison Pettit the little girl. The director was David Blount. Old Jack Dab was gathered up, put together in a wooden tub, and when it snowed and when it rained, old Jack Dab came alive again. That was Tapping from Fear on Four, here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And this is Halloween month, and we are celebrating our push toward Halloween with ghost stories chosen by us. Last week was my choice. This week was Tim's choice for a ghost story, and brought us this, Tapping from Fear on Four. This is our second one. Yes. Mm -hmm. The first one was The the Horn. Horn. Which I absolutely loved. One of my favorite radio performance dramas of all time, The Horn. Tim, why did you uh, go back to Fear on 4? And uh, why specifically this one? Specifically because of The Horn. It was when you say, think of a ghost story on audio, I think of The Horn. It's such a good actual bit of audio drama and such a good ghost story. So you delved back into Fear on 4. Did you listen to a bunch of them? And Quite find- a few, yes. And settled on this one, why? A mix of things. Uh, No doubt we will be soon talking, I believe, about the Scottish dialect. Mm -hmm. There's another one that I did not choose. I think it was called The Dead Drummer, which the Scottish dialects are 
so thick that I right. was all like, oh, I just want to do this for the dialects just because they're going to hate this. <laughs> this is absolutely impenetrable. Oh, I love Scottish I accents. I do, too. Uh, so this was a nice compromise of I really liked the story and the way it was told, and it has a little bit of impenetrable Scottish dialect. <laughs> <laughs> there is something that I call accent acclimation for me. Yes. Uh, train spotting is 10 minutes, that movie, before I'm like, oh, I now understand what you're saying. Even uh, for a while, when I was younger, Monty Python, it would take me the first three or four minutes mm-hmm. to acclimate to the accent mm-hmm. to understand what they were saying. I did have some accent acclimation, but it was cleared up in my second time through. Sure. I my went... first note in bold is, I guarantee Eric is going to say he had a hard time understanding <laughs> the accents. Yeah, can you read this? Uh, I can't follow. <laughs> One of my notes is, I can't understand any of this. I didn't listen to it two times through because I needed to go back and hear the accents and what did I miss? I went back and listened again because I loved it so much. Mm. Uh, It's rare that I go, you know what? I'm just going to do that again. What was fascinating about this is how awesome it is to listen to this the second time through and hear all of the drops and Easter eggs and hints of who she really is that you don't catch the first time through because we're too busy, A, trying to figure out the accent, (laughs) B, uh, trying to figure out what are they talking about, what's going on, because it's not laid out for us. It slowly is told to us what his issue is. So when you go back and re-listen the second time, you said, oh, yeah, I see yeah. all of these setups that she was saying. I felt the exact opposite. Nice. I felt oh, this, wow. You no. saw it coming? I, oh, yeah. I felt it like over-telegraphed it. I was really disappointed. Oh, I saw it coming that she was her. What I'm saying is I didn't mind. And when it finally got revealed, I thought it was a cool way to do it. There's stuff, even though you know it's coming, that you're like, oh. Yeah, I'm with Eric on that. Of, of mm. You see it coming, but... The execution was so much better the second time. Yes, I agree. You see the execution of those little hints, and it was just gorgeous. And I'm trying to think of some lines. The second time through, it just stood out to me even more. (laughs) Like like, like things like, I've been waiting for you so long, my man. And there's not enough of a twist. There is no twist. Yeah, so if you figure it out. It's easy to figure out when the little girl's voice is the same voice as the wife. No, it's a child performer wow, or a different performer. Wow, they sounded exactly alike to me. So well, they list three actors. Because Scottish people all sound alike. Yeah. Because I'm a <laughs> Scottish racist. <laughs> and they're all good at math. Oh, wait. I, I'm a bad racist. I don't know how to, I don't know how to do it. <sighs> well, so that's really interesting. I loved the concept, first of all, that he married the ghost of the girl that he let die. That's a really cool, cool is not the right word. That's a concept that is fascinating. It's a mm-hmm. different take on uh, what makes a ghost story scary. Yeah. So you've lived with this ghost for a long time. And in, in some ways, it's a cheat of the, the horror isn't the ghost, it's being buried alive. Yeah. That's for me what the sort of twist is, is that this is not really vengeance. She has that whole epilogue at the end. I didn't do this because I'm mad. I just needed to get it done, and he's going to do it to someone else. And That disappointed me, too. It oh. felt too literal of a wrap-up to me for a ghost story and felt a little grasping to come up for some logic hmm? to explain <clears throat> yeah, I it. But I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I didn't think it was terrible, but these little sure. tiny things bugged me and mm. took me out of no, it. No, no. I just listened to you, and I think Josh was right now. Oh, <laughs> 
Dang it, why do I let you talk? <laughs> I really wasn't trying to persuade Eric no, this time. But I will say this, that I totally understand that viewpoint and how that would affect you. It's not me going, what? What are you talking about? I say, oh, yeah, I get it. I think, personally, that I am completely affected by how well done it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I'm so wrapped up in the performance, the direction, the the foley, the ambiance, the pace of this thing. There are moments where I can see them thinking before they talk. Yeah. Eat your cake. And there's a moment where you barely hear a little fork and a little eating. And then he says, and the little air comes out. Why did you marry me? But before he says that, I can actually see his face, like scrunching up, or as they say earlier, screw up your eyes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you can see it before the words come out. Mm-hmm. It's expertly done in that way. Consequently, I think I forgive it a lot for how easy it is to see what's coming, how maybe simple the whole storyline is. Yeah. Maybe there isn't a lot there, but I was just so there that I probably didn't see any of that. I agree. It's really well written, as in the prose. What do you call it in the script? The dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. But it feels like prose Words when it's narrated. Good. <laughs> right. Me good writer, too. Uh, <laughs> but the end, while I had problems with the logic of it, it's beautiful. That yeah. last monologue of hers, uh, mm-hmm. writing-wise. And the Foley and everything is fantastic. There's another great Foley moment. In the first scene, the couple are clearly sitting on the shore. Oh, with the seagulls talking, going, and the yeah. seagulls. There's all that sound is really great, too. When but he says, here. That's all he says is here. That's the one I'm talking about. And you can exactly. hear them sit down in the grass. Yep. I imagine them just scooting a little closer and yeah. cuddling up. You heard a little rustle of grass. And it's tiny fantastic yeah the production and the performances are all very cohesive in creating this very close intimate relationship with these two that they establish is very cut off from everyone else and that's the thing i'm responding to so strongly i think eric as well is that relationship is so vivid and alive even if you see the plot coming the stakes still feel so real just because that's so compelling a relationship. Yeah. I agree 100%. I just came at it from a different angle. I found their relationship and that intimacy so compelling that I wanted to feel the horror and betrayal in the same moment that he felt it. Yeah, I didn't sure, want to yes. know ahead of time because yep. in that first scene, I was like, I love these two. <laughs> right? And I, I didn't want to start distrusting her as early as I did. Mm-hmm. And then that's the problem with a two-hander like this. If it's a mystery, you go, okay, (laughs) something's got to be up with one of them. If there was maybe one more character, I might have not even picked up on the lines from Mm -hmm. her, a red herring character somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. I think the writer could have gotten away with the twist with fewer clues, and I still would have Mm -hmm. gone along with that reveal. What did the uh, writer of this say in his book? What was that quote again? He said... Imply as much as you can get away with and describe as little as can be tolerated. I think he broke that. That's my problem. <laughs> I wish he would have um, implied more. Uh, back to the Foley moment. I, I think it's really fascinating that we have been taught in old time radio or audio drama. You have to describe. And the more you describe, the more hokey and the more corny it can get. And there's this fine line of what we describe and don't describe. And I think this is a great example of... You know, if you're doing it right, you may not have to describe anything if we can hear it and how important sound effects and Foley are and how important uh, direction is and how important performance is. 
that you don't have to put the words in, here, come over, sit on this chair yeah. in your red dress and all of the details of it. Just He just said, here. And we understood what was going on. He's, eat your cake. And I could see his face waiting to ask this question. And I think it's really interesting. Uh, when did this come out? 70s? This one was 97. This was a sort of a straggler fifth season after the first four seasons were late 80s right. or 90s. When radio first came out, I think there was that idea that, well, they can't see it, so we're going to have to describe every single detail. And I think as we move on and on and on and on, and especially with technology, audio quality helps a lot to be able to hear in, mm-hmm. in a three-dimensional sound in our headphones. <laughs> well, there's two different schools of thought, which are, I think, very valid. One is you really want to paint the picture. You want to make it vivid to the audience. And there's uh, some escape episodes, Three Skeleton Key. Yeah. Just the detail is really compelling and I kept saying visceral when we were talking about it but that's it I mean they choose the perfect details and hammer away at them where in this case as you've been saying just subtlety and performance make it clear and you paint the picture yourself without them having to do it for you I'm about ready to say that everybody involved with Fear and Four are radio drama masters. <laughs> I think they really understand how to tell a story. It's a lot like suspense in that uh, the production values and the performances, yes. I've heard a lot of them, they're really good. The scripts vary a little, but you always listen to one and go, that was a really excellent production. Right. Yeah. With, with this one, I feel like I'm being harder on it than I really mean because I liked it enough that I'm picking at it. Whereas if, yeah. if I liked it less, I would have probably not paid as much anal retentive attention <laughs> to these things. That being said, one other thing really bugged me. <laughs> and, and another thing about the Scottish. Can't they just talk right? <laughs> no, but I feel like there was some thematic that wanted to come out in that you were talking about guilt, taking responsibility for your actions and about not burying memory or truth or little girls who haven't died yet. <laughs> right. And at the same time, it seemed really weird to make him six years old where any person in the world would say, you are absolutely not culpable for your actions hmm. oh, right. at six years old. That detail just I disagree. really bugged <laughs> me. Like, I think if you had made him a teenager, you could have understood how he could have been freaked out and sure. been embarrassed and you would have sympathized with him, but also sympathized with her to say, you were old enough. So when she says, you could have freed me, I go, does a six-year-old actually have the <laughs> motor skills to right. open a coffin or to explain to an adult who would take a six-year-old seriously that he hears noises coming from the coffin? So that bugged mm-hmm. me. And I, I mean, it must have been intentional. The only way I feel I can interpret that is with that final monologue and that they are just trapped in some supernatural cycle, like nature. It's uncontrollable. It's just how it works. Mm-hmm. But she's so pointed to blame him at the end, mm-hmm. and that didn't jibe with six freaking years old. Again, it, it never that... occurred to me because I wasn't paying attention to the details because I was so enamored with being there. How much of that is she is a intelligent being who does hold him responsible or like maybe being buried alive. I don't care how old you are. I was buried yeah. alive. You'd think she'd get over it after. <laughs> <laughs> or how much she was like, I know I was six, but I still feel responsible and no mm-hmm. amount of telling me I was only six will get me over that. Yeah. What do you think of the through line of the little girl skipping rope? I recognize that as this is a flourish that I love and could easily be offsetting to other people. Little kids, when they're evil, is terrifying. That's a trope. They're untainted and they're still good. And whenever stories 
or whore or whatever takes that and turns it on inside, it's disturbing mm -hmm. and it's hard. And little things like just doing a rhyme become horrifying mm -hmm. and it's just a and the this, rhymes about a guy the, coming to life there's some like primal about a little kid chant yeah mm -hmm. of like you just assume this has been around for hundreds of years and little kids have been repeating this over and over ring again. around the rosy yeah mm -hmm. it annoyed me a little at first and then it grew on me as it repeated and in that final scene where the skip of the rope blended into mm -hmm. the tapping of yep. the fingers to me i read it as his last memory of that little girl in life yeah. he saw her on the playground doing that and then when you make the tapping connection at the end it all comes together really nicely yeah, i love the detail of the tapping is not him trying to get out it's just his the spasm of his hand yeah that's really creepy yeah it's devastating stuff uh, the, the repetition of the jump rope rhyme and the way they started through the story didn't quite get through it backed up started it again, reminded me of Arch Obler. I saw the mm -hmm. sort of spiritual connection from <laughs> right. like Arch Obler of the late 30s and this in 1997. Plus, I think it doesn't exist, but one of his very first stories for Lights Out was about a little girl being buried alive that caused oh, so yeah. much controversy. Yeah, was... And I wondered <clears throat> if this writer made that connection or if it was entirely a coincidence. <laughs> because there's another episode of Fear on 4 that is a rewrite of an Arch Obler story. So the people involved in it in some way are, are thinking back to these classic old-time radio horror stories. There is a Doctor Who connection that I've just been leaving here, I think surely Joshua will step in with this other Doctor Who connection. Oh, man, you are shaming me. You mean when they got in that telephone booth and <laughs> went to the future? It's not a telephone booth. <laughs> it's a TARDIS. Ugh. Did yes. I get that right? You got it right. All right. The actor, if, oh, I'm going to make sure I get his name right. Mark Bonner? Mm -hmm. Bonner? Bonner? Mm, Let's go with Bonner. Sure, Bonner. <laughs> <laughs> Appeared in two Doctor Who episodes. <gasps> Uh, of the, the new series? Yes, the that's series. why I didn't pay attention. Uh, uh, almost human in, in the flesh, almost flesh in the human. I don't know. Okay, what it was. Uh, it's 2011 Matt yeah. Smith episodes. I am a classic Doctor Who man. So the 60s ones that look like uh, soap operas. Shut up, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> the live ones. Oh, just don't understand me. Do you really watch those? <laughs> uh, yes, they are brilliant early British television. They're hard to watch for a newcomer. I'm sure they are. I tried, and I went, wow, what's happening? Yeah, but no, again, you I did not pass the test, Eric. No, I would imagine that <laughs> and a full-grown adult seeing Star Trek, the original series, for the first time would just stare at me and go, wow, really? Because yeah. that isn't good. <laughs> you are wrong, sir. But uh, we'll have a different podcast where Josh and Eric fight about Doctor Who. <laughs> okay, so it's time to vote, and I'll start. And it's hard to vote because it's it's weird to say classic to something recent. <laughs> 11 years old. Yeah, so I'll give it this More price. than 11 years old. Oh, <laughs> my stupid bad math. 21 years old. Is that what it is? Oh my God, this could drink. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just fantastic. We can't throw the classic or test of time on something that comparatively young. <laughs> 60 years from now, people will love this. Still. I agree with all of that. I just ask that you edit out my bad math. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <Damn it. laughs> um, the story itself does not so much plot-wise, twist and turn, 
But the storytelling style choices I thought were interesting. We didn't even talk about it much of. They would just switch scenes with only just the tiniest bit of background uh, yep. sound being different. and It felt like jump cuts, the audio equivalent of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you don't always know, uh, are we just in, in some of the character's head now or a flashback? Uh, and I thought all that was done very well to great success. So classic. Asterix, classic. <laughs> it definitely stands the test of time. And it's a highly entertaining, really distressing ghost story. I, I wouldn't call it a classic. I have my qualms, and I'm more than willing to say that those are personal to me and more subjective than the usual opinions, but definitely stands the test of time. I will say, honestly, that all of your qualms have a lot of merit. Didn't bother me because I was too enraptured with how well it was produced. So I was just there instead of thinking. Yeah. Eric's just sucking up to me because of the stuff he said about Doctor Who. Uh, <laughs> Does anyone ever suck up to because of the stuff they say about Doctor Who? Yes! That? All the time! Never. Why are you guys turning on me? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tim, tell him stuff. Ah, laddie. Go to goodishlife.com. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Wait, I don't understand what you're saying. It's going to take a few minutes. <laughs> At ghoulishlights.com, you'll find other episodes of this podcast. You'll find different ways to get a hold of us. You can get a hold of us through our Facebook account, our Twitter, our Instagram. There's a contact page. Leave a comment on the episodes. Vote in our polls. For heaven's sake, say something. (laughs) (laughs) There's also information about our live shows. Just come to ghoulishlights.com and poke around. Yeah, and you can also, while you're poking around the internet, uh, stop by patreon.com slash the morals uh, because you can become a patron of this podcast and support us in uh, various levels. Uh, There are a lot of fun rewards, uh, but just you can sleep well at night knowing you helped pay for this podcast. <laughs> you did something in life. Also, uh, please go to iTunes and write a review. We've got a lot of fantastic reviews, but um, we're greedy and would like more because it helps uh, draw new listeners to our podcast. And we hope to keep doing this for at least five more episodes. <laughs> I've got to have 30 seconds. <laughs> That's all I can do and it's not even that good Uh, next one as we continue October and our uh, Halloween themed ghost stories uh, what are we doing next it's Joshua's correct yes and we are going to travel to uh, South Africa for an episode of Beyond Midnight entitled either Lansford House or the Green Vase depending on what radio log you look at until then look out Eat your cake. I can actually see his face, like, scrunching up. (laughs) (laughs) Eleven years old.